And good morning to all. And he is risen. Yeah, let's all I'll say he's risen and you say he's risen indeed. He is risen. Yes, he is. And uh, it was interesting this last Friday night, I saw a little advertisement that there was something on Waters World, Jesse Waters show that I wanted to see. And that was they were interviewing people on the street, asking them what Easter is. And and uh, Lawrence Jones, who's often on Shannon Bream, Shannon Bream every night, she talks about Jesus every single broadcast, five nights a week. And Lawrence is often on there. So they were on the streets and they were asking people, what is the meaning of Easter? And it was mostly college age kids. And uh, the experience they had is exactly like the experience I had going down to Seal Beach and talking to people about Jesus. They had not any clue. I mean, the closest they came was Easter bunnies and eggs. And uh, when they said, well, what's the significance of that? They, they, had, they had no clue. They were asked, do you think it has anything to do with Jesus or Christianity? And, and most affirmed, absolutely not. Um, they, they, they had no idea the connection whatsoever. And of course, it, it was sort of a laugh track on there. So it was sort of funny and people were laughing how stupid college kids are. You know, you ask them, is there any states that start with the letter A and they don't, they say no. There's no, no states, you know, that kind of thing. Information that if you know, it's okay. If you don't know, uh, if you do know, it's better. If you don't know, it's okay. Uh, it's no big deal. And I, I found myself just grieved. Because understand that all human history comes down to this day the day Christ raised from the dead. There's not anything more important from the beginning of the written record of man, and there will never in the future be anything important as that. And to not understand the most important day of all days, and not to know what that day means. Understand, Christ didn't die on the cross to make good men better or to give real evil men a chance to not be judged. Not whatsoever. Christ died because there is no way for any man, no matter how good he might be, to have eternal life and to not perish. And so I, I wrote about oh, 20 different sermons for today. And uh, I finally settled on one last night out of John chapter 10. And I want to see that Jesus is the only door and he is the needed, absolute needed shepherd. But in John chapter 10, verse one, most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. So the first analogy Jesus gives he makes it clear that a true shepherd is truly the shepherd. And he can go in and out the door and the doorkeeper recognizes him, realizes he's a shepherd there. Uh, he has a business being there. But other men show up to try to get to the sheep and they don't let him in. They got to climb in some other way. And they are thieves. And this particular word means they are sneaky and they do it in a deceptive way. And then he says they're robbers. This is a thief who does it with blunt force. He breaks in and beats them unconscious and steals what he wants. And he said, until this time, in this moment, talking about himself, all other messages for man to not perish but have eternal life, they're not true. And I might say in the future also. In Galatians 1, Paul says, I hear there's somebody teaching you a different gospel. It's not a true gospel. And those who are talking about that gospel, let them be damned 
to the lowest part of hell, anathema. And I hear that people are presenting to you a different Jesus than what I presented to you. Let them be damned to the lowest part of hell. And then in verse 2, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And in verse 3, To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hears his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. So as soon as the shepherd comes in, the sheep know him, recognize him. And as soon as he says, you guys ready to go get, to go get some food? They're all ready to go lining up right with him to go to the green pastures and the, and the still waters. It's, again, an intimate thing. A shepherd knows their sheep, even though he may have a hundred of them. He has held them when they were born into this world. He's put oil on them. A shepherd, when the sheep come in at night, looks at them one by one and sees if there's any bruises, what, what they need, if there's a tick or a bug or a, they, they are bleeding or got a scab. And, and he, each night, takes them one by one in and he knows them by name. I, I love the fact that God knows every one of us by name. And he loves everybody in the world. Every person in the world is precious to God. No matter how evil that person is, no matter how many sins that person's committed, Christ loves them and sees them as special and he knows them by name. Well, in verse four, and when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. So as they're exiting they are heading, he takes them to the proper place. They are following him in safety and security, and they are comforted by his voice. David said in Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me by the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness, for his name's sake. David understood the Lord was his shepherd. And David knew he was a good shepherd. He loved the sheep. He cared for the sheep. And, and he realized that if I, being this evil person, love these sheep, how much more my shepherd in heaven loves me. And in verse 5, yet they will by no means follow a stranger. They'll flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. So another person can come and try to pretend to be the shepherd, but the sheep recognize that this guy's not of the truth. He's not the, the one that they're supposed to be around. They're afraid of him. They flee from him. They definitely won't follow him. And in verse 6, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. So people were completely ignorant. They didn't get this analogy that they had given, that Jesus gave to them. Of course, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.14 that the natural man, the person who's not spiritually in tune with God, they can't receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can they know them because they're spiritually discerned. So he gives them another analogy. And it's still on the sheep theme, <laughs> but more about the door. So he changes the analogy. And at this time, Jesus is the door in this analogy. In John 10, 7, and then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So if you were... On the farm, you had, you know, corrals like you would normally have for the sheep. And the guys who are there working on the farm, they know who's supposed to be there and who's not. That was the first analogy. Now, the second is when they go out and they stay overnight in the highlands where they could find grass in the summer. And then they would stack rocks in a circle 
If you guys uh, go to Israel with this, we're going to be planning a trip soon. I'll, I'll show you one of these. But they put them in a circle about three or four feet high. And there's just an opening. And the shepherd lays down and he is the door uh, to the sheep. Once the sheep are looked at and they're all brought in one by one, he then makes his, puts his sleeping bag and his, his stuff that he needs right there in front and he blocks the door. He is the door. So he, he makes it clear here in verse seven, Jesus said to them, most surely I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. They would have understood this perfectly. Now, I, I wouldn't make a note that this is a definite article. Jesus isn't saying, I am a door. I'm a possible door. I'm one of many doors. With a definite article, he's saying, I am the specific door. This is, there is going to be no other door. There's only this one door. And uh, in John 8, 24, Jesus earlier had said, therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will die in your sins. In John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so this is something that Jesus repeatedly said. Now, that's why it sort of amazes me that, that people think there is another possibility for somebody to have their sins forgiven and go to heaven. Like God has several options. Understand, if there are several options, Jesus would have never died. In the garden, he said, Father, is there any other options? And there was a rhetorical silence. He began to sweat and blood began to, his blood vessels began to break. And, and he said, Father, and he cried out several times, if there's any other way for this cup to pass, let it pass. But there was no other way. And so now if, if Jesus died and rose again and the father said, hey, guess what? We have 700 different ways people can get saved now. What would have been Jesus' response to that? Jesus looks pretty stupid. What does that make the father? That makes the father very, very evil person. You, you see, if there was another way and he, had, he allowed Jesus to be tortured and crucified and die when there was another way, that makes the father evil. So you cannot have Christianity and other ways. If there are other ways, even one other way, that makes God evil for having his son go through such torture, and it makes Jesus a real idiot, neither one of them are heroes. It would be like this. If some guy is getting ready to get hit by a car, and I grab the guy next to me and throw him into that guy and knocks the guy out of the way, and then the guy you threw gets hit and gets killed, or people tap, tap me on the back going, what a hero I am? Or am I a murderer? I'm a murderer. But if I myself jump out and push that person out of the way and I get killed, then am I, I am a hero. But if I, get, if I push a guy out of the way and I die and, and my wife and family are standing there, and the people got to say, what an idiot. That, that guy wouldn't have got hit. That, that car saw him. He would have served out of the way. That guy just wanted to be a hero, and it was totally unnecessary. That guy would have been uh, just fine if he didn't push him out of the way. Would that not be the insult of all insults to the family? And for the father to allow his son to be crucified, and now to say to the father, your son's not the only way. There are many other ways to heaven. You see, it is not a good story. It's an evil story. It's a lying story. It's a deceptive story with some real evil figures in it. But if it is true, there was no other way. And Jesus died. Then it's a story of love. It's a story of heroism. 
It's a beautiful story of self-sacrifice. But you don't get both. You don't get a wonderful Christian story and another way. It cannot exist. So Jesus makes it clear, without me, you're going to die in your sins. Without going through the one door, you'll never make it to heaven. In verse 8, all who go, who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. So others proclaiming to be a way of eternal life, they are all thieves and robbers. They're either slick and sly, deceptive, or they're beating you into submission. In verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, notice, he shall be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. That sheep is free. He's in good hands. He's well fed. He's protected. He's safe. He feels safe. He's, he's really enjoying life. When they go through the one door, they're saved and they live this life going in and out and and eating well and enjoying life. In John three seventeen, for God not, did not send his son of the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now the rest of John goes on to say that men by nature, since we're born into this world with a sinful nature, we are on a clock to be judged by God unto damnation because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. But God sent his son that man would have the one way of salvation. In John 5, 24, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who has sent has everlasting life and shall not come unto judgment and has passed from death to life. If you hear the words and believe. In 1 John 5, 11 through 13, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in the Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. The whole reason the gospel is good news is because all doubt is removed. All questioning about going to heaven or not going to heaven, being forgiven or not being forgiven, it's gone. There is no doubt. There is no concern. The sheep are going in and out and finding pasture and they're at peace and at their rest because they have the one way where they do not perish, the one way of eternal life. And here John is saying, you guys who have gone through that door, you who have believed in the name of Jesus, you have eternal life. And this is the reason we told you to believe. So you would know that you have eternal life and now continue to believe in his name, the son of God. And then in verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill and destroy. There you go. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. The thief is here to steal by trickery, to take from you. He's here to kill, which is a unique word for slaughter, like they would slaughter an animal. Satan desires to slaughter people and to destroy, which is interesting, cause to perish. In John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now notice, this is good news. But if you change that verse, it quickly becomes bad news. If you, he says here, the only qualifying is that you put your faith, your belief, your trust, whatever word you want to use, in Christ. He doesn't say how big the faith is. He didn't say how small the faith is. We know that a mustard seed side of faith can move a mountain. It seems like less than a mustard seed side of faith 
can believe in Jesus and be saved. It doesn't say there's a great repentance. It doesn't say there's a great commitment. It doesn't say that there has to be an ongoing obedient life or an ongoing life of good works. It doesn't say any of that. It simply says, believe. Believe like the thief on the cross. His hands were tied, his feet were tied. He could do nothing. He couldn't go to church. He couldn't read a Bible. He couldn't feed the poor. He could do nothing. But yet he heard Jesus being with nails in his hand and a crown of thorns upon his head and being ridiculed. All he heard from Jesus was kindness and love. Hey, John, take care of mom. (laughs) Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And this thief came to believe in Jesus. And all he said was, Jesus, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, when in the future you come into your kingdom, remember me. That was it. He didn't repent of his sins. He didn't know that Jesus was the son of God, I don't think. I don't think he knew he was virgin birth. I don't think he knew he was the second person of the Trinity. I don't think he knew uh, the truth of God from the Bible. All he heard was a guy that the people were saying he's the Messiah that will save the people from their sins, but that's a joke. But now that he sees the character of this guy, he's a kind person who wants everybody to be forgiven. And he believes. What did he believe? I don't know. I don't think he knew very much. But what he did know, he believed in. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. We just studied last Wednesday night in Genesis 15, 6, one of the most important verses in the Bible. That It says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. You know what he believed? God said, go outside and look at the stars. That's how many kids you're going to have. And he said, I believe you, God. And he said, I account that faith under righteousness. That's all Abraham knew at that time. There was almost very little Abraham knew about God. But what he did know about God, he believed. It tells us in Romans chapter 4 that he knew his body was way past the age of having kids. And definitely his wife's body was way past the age of having kids. But it said he believed that what God said he would do, he was able to do, and he would do it. And then later, when God offered, asked Abraham to offer his child as a sacrifice, he knew his child wouldn't be dead. Because in Hebrews it says, For God, that Abraham in his heart said, I know that you said through Isaac your descendant shall be. He can't be dead. He has to raise from the dead. So even if he did sacrifice Isaac, he would raise from the dead. That's why Abraham said to his servants, you stay here. Me and my son are going to go worship and me and my son both shall return. Even though he knew that he was supposed to sacrifice the son, he believed in the resurrection of the dead. But God didn't have him offer his son. And then the Lord said in this place, which was in Jerusalem, where he was called Mount Moriah back in those days. He said, in this place, I myself will be a sacrifice. (laughs) I will provide myself a sacrifice. It sounded like he was saying, I'll give a different sacrifice, but he's saying, I myself will be a sacrifice. And indeed, Jesus did. And so, again, the word is good. God loves the world. God loves you. God cares about you. He not only knows you by name, he knows every hair upon your head. His son willingly with joy in his heart came to be the hero, to be the perfect lamb of God. Because he was virgin born, he was born into this world without the sin nature that you and I have. But he never sinned. So he was the perfect lamb of God because he was eternal. Man, he could be the substitute for man because he was eternal. He could be the substitute for all men. 
No one else has ever been a perfect sacrifice that they could even be a substitute for one man. And here it says, if you believe, you shall never perish. It doesn't say you might not perish or you're in a probationary period. We'll look to see in your works and see how well your church attendance is and how much you're reading the Bible and how many you know, people you're giving money to and helping out. And then we'll decide at a later date whether you don't perish or not. No, he said at the moment, like that thief on the cross, the moment he believed, you will not perish. And then he said, you shall have eternal life. He didn't say maybe have eternal life. Possibly you're in a good position to have eternal life. You started on the right path that does lead to eternal life, but it's really up to you in a lifetime of, of observing, you know, whether you really are qualified to have eternal life. We'll let you know at the end of your days or in 20 years from now. But that, that's not good news. None of those variations are good news. But here's good news. God loves you. Jesus came to be the sacrifice. He's the only one that could be to pay for your sins. And if you right now will believe in your heart that Jesus is my savior, that he paid for my sins right this moment, you shall never perish. Not now, not next week, not in 50 years from now. And you shall have eternal life. Whenever you leave this body, you'll be with the Lord. It's a gift. It's not of your works. It's not of yourself. It's a gift. And that we can share with the whole world. It's good news. If you're preaching religion, if you're a Christian, you're going out and you're telling people, yeah, once you start coming to church with me or once you start living a better life, then maybe you can, we can talk about you being forgiven and having eternal life. That's not, I don't think anybody would go tell anybody about that. But if we're to go tell the world that God loves them and that right now God will write their name in the book of life if they'll believe on Jesus, that is a wonderful message to take to the world. And then he, he says that the thief has come, but he goes, I have come that they might have life, real genuine article life, and abundantly extraordinary life. And in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So here's another quality of a good shepherd. He knows them by name. He leads them. They know his voice. They, he takes them in and out, but he genuinely cares so much about them, he would die protecting them. Remember David. He did that, right? Even as a little boy with a slingshot, he confronted the bear and he confronted the lion. He loved the sheep. He laid his life down. Well, in verse 12 and 13, but the hireling, the guy who's being hired, he doesn't know their name. The sheep don't know him. It says, but the hiring, the hireling, he who is not the shepherd, the one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep, flees, and the wolf catches the sheep, scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. And this is all other religions. They genuinely want you for their own purposes. You see, that's why so many people, I think, are turned off by church today. I need a lot of you to come and give us a lot of money so we can build a big building. So the sheep are not, the shepherd's not there for the sheep. The sheep are there for the shepherd. That's religion. All religions have that. I need you to come and be a part of our organization so our organization can become rich and powerful and bigger and affect more people. And so you all need to do your part so the church and me in particular have something bigger going on here. Jesus, that's, that's the spirit of the devil. That's not the spirit of Christ. He says, I'm here for you. I'm not here for you to serve me. I'm here to serve you. He goes on in verse 
14 and 15, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I am known by my own. As the father knows me, even so I know the father, I lay my life down for the sheep. Radical. Jesus says, it's, it's like this. My love for them is as much as my father's love for me. Just got to go see my three grandkids yesterday. And I'll tell you what, I really love them. Big surprise. My kids, I love them less now. I realize I never loved them as much. I, I, I put up with them, but I love my grandkids. But I love them for having kids, so I, I do love them more. But in all seriousness, Jesus is saying, I love the sheep as much as a father loves a child. And as much as my father, who is God, who is perfect in love, loves me, the son. That's how much love I have for the sheep. And I, I don't know about you, but it almost hurts to have that much love. You know, you want those, get your little grandkids and you wish you could just sort of lick them up like a sucker and let them dissolve in you. You can't hug them close enough or kiss them enough or play with them enough. That's, Jesus is saying, man, it's not a, oh yeah, you know, I like the sheep. I've known them all their life. No, it's a deep love that almost hurts. And this is why I lay my life down for the sheep because I love them. It's not God feeling guilty that he made a planet in which men sinned and now he's feeling guilty that the whole thing sort of went sour and he's trying to make up for it. No, the reason Christ died is because he loves you. The reason the Father sent the Son is because God the Father loves you. The Lord our God is one Lord, there's one God, and that one God loves you. And the second person of the Trinity, Jesus came into human flesh. I, I love this in John 17, where Jesus is praying. And in verse 20 of John 17, he said, I do not pray for these alone, but I also pray for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us, guys. I don't pray, pray for just these, these apostles that are here, but I pray into the future, everybody who believes on me through their words. I'm, talk, I'm using the apostle words right now. All of us who are Christians came to know Christ through the apostles' words. And Christ, while he was still on earth, prayed for us. Here's what he prayed for us. That they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us and the world may believe that you sent me. I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Christ died for our sins. The number one most important thing is that our sins have been forgiven. They've been paid for, okay? God, because he's a just God, because he's a righteous God, he had to see as a judge, as a just person, that every sin was paid for either by that person, but he just couldn't, act like it never happened. God couldn't just say, okay, I forgive everybody. I'm gonna act like nobody killed anybody. Nobody lied to anybody. Nobody raped anybody. Nobody stole from anybody. I'm just gonna act like it never happened. Everybody's got a clean slate. You can't do that. That would be an evil judge to do that. But it has to be paid for. And a lot of the sins that man's committed, God who looks upon the heart sees Every man has murdered in his heart. Every man has committed adultery in his heart. Every man has stolen, at least in his heart. And to be perfect, to go to heaven, it's not just your outward actions, it's gotta be in the heart. And so the first thing where Christ died was to pay for our sins in our place. The second thing 
is that we now, in a sense, that we want to understand when we get to heaven, but we are in him and he is in us. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, enters us now. We, we can understand that to some degree, but it's much more than that. The Bible says that Jesus is seated with the Father on the throne. And then later he says that the Father already sees us in, in, in Genesis or in Ephesians 2, but we're seated on the throne with Christ. How's that? We're all on the throne because we're all in him and he's in us in a perfect unity. And that in him, and he, as Father, you're in me, and I'm in you, and you are in, that we would be in them, and they would be in us. That's the most important thing that happens, that the moment you believe, for now on, you, this moment you have eternal life. You, you don't get eternal life when you die right now. He wants you to have an abundant, an extraordinary life right now, because you're in him, and he's in you. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord because of the Jesus Christ died for us. Well, moving on here in verse 16, the other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them I also must bring and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. He's talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about us who are not Jews. So once again, in John, Jesus is thinking of us Gentiles. I've got some other sheep that are Gentile sheep, and they're going to come and we're going to be one big fold. In Ephesians 3, 6, Paul talks the whole chapter 2 on this in Ephesians. But he said that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. So the Gentiles and the Jews are equal. We're all children of Abraham by having the same faith that Abraham had. Notice in Revelation 5, we get to see into heaven. This is us. This is us in heaven. All the redeemed, that means bought out of slavery, bought out of their sinful condition. All who are redeemed us to God in your, by your blood, by the blood of Christ, out of every tribe, every tongue, every people of every nation. These things go to heaven. These earthly things from our nationality to our color of skin to our language, and I hope foods, I hope the food groups make it as well. All, that we're all one flock. We're all one herd. We're all one part in this Christ. And then in verse 17 and 18, we end here today. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Important point, not a trivial point. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. This command I've received from my father. So Jesus is making it clear that he didn't get overcome by the sinfulness of, of wicked men, that he died because he laid his life down. Now, interesting in Hebrews, it says the soul that sins shall die. Jesus never sinned, but yet he died. The Bible tells us your sins put him to death. I can't tell you how many times I've had Jews ask me, do you believe the Jews are the Christ killer? And I'm like, absolutely not. It wasn't the Italians. I'm not mad at them. It wasn't the Romans. It wasn't the Jews. It was every one of our sins that came upon Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. The moment he took our sins and he died and paid the penalty of our sin, now Christ can give an exchange, a heart of perfect righteousness, declaring it so before God. In Isaiah 53, verse five and six, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord, God the Father, has laid on him, Jesus the Son, the iniquity of us all. In 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, 
like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. In 1 Peter 3.18, Christ suffered for our sins once for all times. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death. He was raised by life in the, uh, by the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, I delivered you first of all that which I received. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture. Christ didn't just die. He died bearing our sins upon him. This is why he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And this is why also he said right before he died, it is finished. He bore the sins, the rejection that all of us should receive of God Jesus experienced. In Romans, it says, excuse me, in, in Hebrews 9, 26 to 28, he then would have not had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. As it is appointed for men to die once after this judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, or because Christ has bore our sins. In 1 Corinthians 15, again, in verse 3 and 4, I delivered first of all that which I received. Christ died for his sins according to scriptures. He was buried, and what? He rose again the third day according to the scripture. Without the resurrection from the dead, we can never know that our sins were forgiven. Do you remember when the guy who was paralyzed, his friends lowered him through the roof? And Jesus says to the guy, your sins are forgiven you. And the, they all murmured and complained saying, you can't, only God can do that. And Jesus said, so you will know what I say happens in the spiritual realm is true in the physical realm. I say to you now, rise up and walk. You see, and he, he said, now, which was harder? He's basically saying it's, it's a miracle in the spiritual realm and you've got to believe it by faith. But so you know, I am God and I can, there's nothing hard for me. I can do all things. I'm saying to this guy on the earth so you can validate the reality of what he says in the spiritual realm is true. He's going to do a miracle on earth that only he can do. So when Christ raised from the dead, he he came back to tell us it's been done. Your sins really are forgiven. I paid for them. The Father received it as the payment. And you now can be in us and we in you. You can now be as white as snow, perfect in his sight. He has will write your name in the book of life and declare you righteous, even though you're not living perfectly righteous on earth. God's Holy Spirit is going to work with you and continue to help you do good works for the glory of God and rewards in heaven. But that you know that what God did in the spiritual realm is confirmed by what he does on the physical realm. He raised from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14 to 22, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith also is empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up. In fact, if the dead do not raise. If the dead do not raise and Christ is not risen, then also those who have fallen asleep, died in Christ, have perished. And this is life only we have hope in Christ. In this life only, if we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. And now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by the man death came, 
by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, Adam's sin affected the whole world. And so Christ all shall be made alive. Christ's righteousness affected the whole world. And finishing up in Matthew 28, verse 5 through 8, that resurrection morning, Mary Magdalene comes and the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. What's it say, guys? He is risen, just as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before us into Galilee. Therefore, you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So that they went out quickly from the tomb and the fear and great joy and ran to bring the disciples this word. Well, here's what we are looking at worldwide, folks. The Lord's second coming is near. The rapture of the church is near. The Roman Empire, the ancient Roman Empire, which is Europe, is coming together. Iron mixed with clay, weak and strong at the same time. Russia is getting, going to be hooked by a hook and brought down to fight Israel, I believe, before the rapture. Iran is building nuclear weapons and Israel's going to strike first. And they're linked with Iran and linked with China. I think those three are going to attack Israel and they're going to lose against Israel. But we are now seeing the whole world becoming a dictatorship. And one guy out of Europe, a small country, is going to rise up and immediately the whole world is going to recognize him as a leader. It's the Antichrist. It's the guy that Satan is filled with. Right now in the world, Germany, nobody goes to church. It used to be like America where everybody was a, went to church and worshiped Jesus. It's virtually gone. But the Christianity, as it was dying in Germany, it was exploding in Europe, especially the UK. And now we've seen the UK go until virtually nobody goes to church. It's a laugh if you think somebody goes to church, read the Bible, believes in Jesus. And now so with us. The typical college student does not have a clue who Jesus is. And the people that do know who Jesus is are more lethargic than ever before. I was going to go to church, but I'll just click on my streaming button here. I would go share my faith, but I don't do that. I'm too cool. Seems like nerds are sharing their faith. Christianity right now, it was declining before COVID. Now after COVID, virtually the world or the United States has quit going to church, especially with people 40 and under. The liberalization of the colleges and the high schools is has made man think that there's actually more than two genders. For 6,000 years of recorded history, there's been men and women. But now men can have babies all of a sudden, and you're an idiot if you don't think so. And all of a sudden, there's an infinite amount of genders. God made man in his image, male and female, and those two together make up the image of God. Satan hates that. He wants to distort that. He gave sex in marriage, so he's created homosexuality. So people are distorting the beauty of sex. They want to distort the nature of God. As soon as the Antichrist takes power, he's going to change the times and the seasons. He doesn't want Christmases or Easter's. We already see that spirit of the Antichrist in the world now. We no longer have Easter vacation. We have spring vacation. We no longer have Christmas vacation. We have winter vacation. Men, I'm saying right now, guys, this may be our last Easter together, at least where we don't get arrested. And to think that if you're lethargic as a believer now, you'll be on fire by Easter next year. No. Once you understand the joy of salvation, now, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. Seek the Lord while he may be found. 
The Lord's return is near. And I'm not just saying this because it's in a, it's a, I don't know, a, a dramatic conclusion. I'm saying it because it's absolutely the truth. And there's not one pastor in America who thinks differently. <laughs> Every Christian I know sees it as clear as day. So as the Lord's time is drawing near, so the darkness of the world is going to get greater. And it's not Satan got powerful or the world got more evil. It's just Christians are not shining as brightly, right? So Lord, we come now to you and we know that you have led us to yourself to be a light to the world, a salt to the earth. You've given us such a simple message, a child can speak it. You've made it so simple that anybody even in a coma can do it. Your burden is easy and light that we would find a rest for our souls. And Lord, we just want to come to you now and live for you, serve you, that we would seek you first in your kingdom and your righteousness, that we would love you first above all others, and then that love would be with all our heart, all our soul, our mind, all our strength. If you've heard the message today, just believe in your heart that you need a savior, that you are a sinner and that you need a savior to save you from your sins. The moment you believe that in your heart, you are saved. And now you have the joy of learning about the one who loves you so much. Hear his voice and follow him. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen, amen. God bless you all. Trust the Lord spoke deep into all of your hearts. And uh, we're here every week at 930, usually in, uh, inside, sometimes outside. And uh, we're teaching through Philippians Sunday morning. And uh, I encourage you to go and tell the whole world Jesus is risen from the dead and what that means to them. Bye-bye.